Hello, and welcome to R.I.J. Offleash. This is your host, Eternity, the R.I.J. Multimedia Editor, and today I'm sadly hosting on my own. Viv and Ali are not in the building today because things are getting crazy around here as the semester winds down. But no worries, because today we've got a show that will arouse your interest, pun intended. On this fourth episode of our new podcast, we're talking about sex journalism and what it means to cover all things sex in the Canadian journalism landscape. Later on in the show, our production editor, Stephanie Phillip, will speak to Simone Paget, a freelance writer for The Sun and author of SkinnyDip.ca, a blog about love, sex, dating, and everything in between the sheets. Joining us right now is Kate Sloan, a Ryerson student who has written about sex for Maisonneuve, Exojane, Medium, and many other publications. Kate, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So the sex journalism community in Canada, is that a thing? And if so, who's in it and how does it work? It seems like most of the people who are writing about sex and doing journalism about sex are not doing only that. I think that there's only probably a few people like me who I know of who are almost exclusively focusing on sexuality. Um, And a lot of people I know who are writing about sex in Canada are not doing what I would describe as journalism. Like, it's more like, you know, opinion pieces and advice columns and blogging and that kind of thing. Um, I do know a few people. There's this guy, John Presick, who um, does, like, a radio show for CIUT here in Toronto and um, writes for various publications. Um, There's a few people like that, but most of the sex journalists I know are in the States. What are people's reactions when you tell them that you are a sex journalist? People are actually really chill about it. Like, my parents didn't think it was weird at all, and none of the professors at Ryerson have really had anything weird to say about it. Um, The only thing is that my dad told me that it might be a limiting choice for me. He's worked in media, and he told me having such a small niche might limit my options. Um, but I've actually found the opposite, that like when people know you write about such a small area, they'll tend to like refer you to those stories and give you those stories more often because they trust you with that subject matter, so I haven't found it's been an issue. You wrote a story for Maisonneuve called A We Dispute, and it was about female ejaculation. Can you take me through where the idea came from and how you did your reporting for it? Yeah, so I started writing that for a features class last year. Uh, what had happened was there was this study that came out out of France which found that female ejaculation is urine, apparently. Um, but the study only used seven participants, and the media largely reported it as like a definitive thing, like female ejaculation is definitely urine. And all of the sex bloggers were hating on all the journalists who were sort of sensationalizing and like misreporting this study basically as fact. And I kind of felt like I had a responsibility to do something about that. So I pitched this story for that class about um, basically like the journalistic irresponsibility of reporting this really, really small study as fact Um, and how it was so often about male scientists and male journalists sort of like not listening to women's experiences about their own bodies. and then I pitched it to Maisonneuve after I finished it, and I didn't think that they were going to accept it, and they accepted it. <laughs> I was looking to talk to people who are themselves squirters, and 
Um, I wanted to get, you know, voices of just kind of lay people as opposed to people who work in the industry. And it was really, really hard to get people to talk about that because, you know, if you have a job working at a university or something, like, you don't want your name to be out there connected to the fact that you can female ejaculate. It's kind of a strange thing. Um, and that's why I tend to rely on a lot of the same sources over and over again, which is kind of a problem. But, like, you know, I know that they'll be good and I know that they'll let me use their names. So... I have to kind of use what I can get. You obviously need to have sources. So how difficult is it for you to get people to speak to you without using a pseudonym? It's really, really hard. It depends on what the story is for. Um, but quite often, I'll like put a call out on Facebook or places like that um, to see if I know anyone who might be willing to speak to me, which I know a lot of um, professors here would say that that's like a no-no because you're not supposed to talk to people you already know or who are sort of friends with you. but. I find that like a lot of people are really hesitant to talk about sex and you kind of have to treat your sources like friends and or be actual friends with your sources um, to get them to open up. And even sometimes when people do talk to me, sometimes at the end of the interview, uh, I'll be like, so can I use your name for this? And they will tell me no because <laughs> of all the things that they've just said that they don't want to be published. So people either like are very angry that you're asking those questions and want to shut you down or like... They want to help, but they don't know how to help you. And it's such a divisive topic, so writing about it can be really hard. Do you think it's okay to ask people about sex? I think it's okay if uh, they understand what they're getting into. And it's kind of similar to the idea of consent within sex itself. It's like consent needs to be informed and enthusiastic and ongoing. And I kind of view that in the way that I approach my interviews as well as like they have to be informed of what they're getting into which means it's probably going to be published I'm probably going to use their name if they're going to let me do that um, and the consent has to be ongoing so sometimes I'll check in and I'll say if any of these questions are getting too personal just stop me um, if you're uncomfortable if you need to take a break um, so it's weird I do think you have to approach it like you are approaching a sexual encounter in some senses because the same kinds of emotions are involved often in talking about sex as in actually having sex which is also part of why being friends with your sources or at least approaching them like you would approach a friend is really helpful in doing this kind of work. So let's talk about maybe some of your stories and mm -hmm. your best moments and your worst moments. Um, one of the stories that I'm most proud of is a feature I wrote for Horizons magazine and it was about um, toxic sex toys which is a huge problem that a ton of people don't know about. Um, and that was part of what drew me to the story was that I was hearing about it in my small insular sex blogger communities and not really outside of that, and it's a huge danger. Um, a lot of cheaper sex toys are made with these gross toxic materials in them, which um, can damage your liver and your, um, your reproductive system and all these different things. And so it was, um, it was quite a challenge for me because I don't have a science background. Like, I'm minoring in psychology, so, like, I can read a study and I can sort of understand statistics to a certain extent. But, like, I really had to spend a lot of time with the science and, like, talking to experts and trying to parse this stuff. Um, but I felt it was a really important story. I got to talk to a ton of experts, and, like, a lot of people who read the story said to me, like, I had no idea that this stuff was out there and like I have tried these toys or I know people who've tried these toys and didn't know. So it was really gratifying to uh, be able to bring that story out. Um, in terms of most difficult or uncomfortable stories, I would say again the one 
about like sexual health resources on the Ryerson campus because it was just like demoralizing how many people didn't <laughs> want to talk to me. And like there was this one woman who worked at the uh, the insurance plan here or something who I've, I phoned her and I told her where I was writing for and what I was trying to find out. And she just was so rude. Like she was like the meanest of any source I've ever spoken to in my entire journalism career. Like she was questioning my credentials, like calling me weird names for trying to ascertain this information. And in the story, I wrote, I used the word rude because <laughs> she was, and my editor changed it to blunt, which was like <laughs> not quite the same thing. But that I remember having like almost an anxiety attack after I hung up with that woman because she just made me question everything I was doing. Like, is it okay to ask people about sex? Like, am I, you know, probing too deep? <laughs> but yeah, I think the story ended up just being like this wild goose chase of me looking for sexual health information and ended with me being like, so maybe go to the hassle-free clinic instead of trying to get these services on Ryerson campus because clearly nobody wants to give them to you here. Yeah, yeah, I've been on this <laughs> campus now two years, and I can't even find the website, like, not even <laughs> get, a, like, a number for anything, um, mm -hmm. and it's weird that you say that, because when you're looking for any kind of, when we're doing stories as journalists on, you know, um, sexual assault on campus, or mental health, it seems like there's this huge runaround mm -hmm. to get to these services, and then you have to go through somebody who knows somebody who knows someone, and then by the time your stories do, uh, they get back to you. What is your advice for any journalist who wants to make the move towards sex journalism? Um, I think you have to work really hard to stay up to date with the sex positive community because there's a lot of um, language and concepts within that community that are constantly evolving and um, you definitely will like earn points with people if you use the right language. So. Like recently, um, I was accused of, uh, someone said that my Maisonneuve article was cis-axist, meaning that it excludes um, people who are trans and genderqueer, which is a totally fair point because I use the phrase female ejaculation and um, I equated vaginas with women when in actuality not everybody who has a vagina identifies as a woman and not everybody who identifies as a woman has a vagina. Um, so things like that, I mean, I wrote it that way because I was writing it for a mainstream magazine and I knew that it would be, you know, a task and a half to explain all those things within my article in a way that would be understandable to the reading audience. But um, I think if you have your language down and you know how to be respectful in the way that you talk to people, um, you'll have a much easier time. Um, I also think sex journalists need to think about our own biases, like obviously journalists are told not to have biases, but I think in a topic as polarizing as sex, like you kind of can't help it. Um, your sources are gonna have biases on this topic and so are your editors and obviously you are. Um, so I think it's it's worth considering. Like I consider my own biases um, to be positive ones, I guess we all do, but like, you know, I'm sex positive and I'm a feminist and I think that comes through in my work and I consider very carefully how much of that I want to come through in my work. Like I, I try to be objective, but definitely you can see my perspective in the work that I do. Um, I'm rambling a lot, but yeah, I think we need to consider our own biases when we're doing this work. Okay, and um, that's it. So thank you, Kate, for being with us today. Thank you for having me. That was Kate Sloan, a Ryerson student and sex journalist.
So earlier on in the show, I spoke to Kate about what it's like to be a sex journalist in Canada. And Kate brought up a really good point how we've got a lot of bloggers doing sex writing here, um, not necessarily journalism. And so we spoke to one of these bloggers, which is Simone Paget. She is a freelance writer for The Sun and the author of SkinnyDip.ca, which is a blog about love, sex, and relationships. And Simone often writes personal essays about her experiences with sex and comments on the sex scene in Victoria, as well as reviews sex toys. And Steph, our production editor, uh, got the great opportunity to speak to Simone about what it's like to be a sex blogger in Canada and some of her crazy experiences. Take a listen. So do you ever, you obviously share personal stories on your blog. Yeah. Do you ever feel uncomfortable doing that or feel like you want to, you know, use a pseudonym or, you know, it happened to a friend of a friend of mine kind of thing? Uh, Yeah, like I usually um, don't use people's real names ever on the blog unless they give me permission. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are certain things like I don't feel comfortable sharing. And I think like my blog has gone through and my writing has kind of like ebbed and flowed where like I was very kind of cautious at first and then I grew really comfortable then I kind of went like balls to the wall like exposing all kinds of details and now I'm kind of like going down the other end where I'm like yeah I still want to share stories that are valuable to other people but also now that you know I'm out in the world and I'm single and I'm dating um, I don't want to you know expose too much of my personal life Mm -hmm. and because you need to keep something to yourself and I always have, but there's always the impression by other people that, you know, you're telling everything, which is right. never really the case. When you're out on a date or mm-hmm. thinking back on, like, dating experience or funny stories or funny things that have happened to you, do you do you know right away that you're going to want to write about it? Yeah, if it's, like, really bizarre, like, right off the bat, then I'm already writing this story in my head. Like, I... So there was this one. Ex- okay, tell me. <laughs> there was one experience where, um, like, I walked into the guy's apartment. We'd been out a few times, and the first thing I saw, like, sitting in his foyer, was just this large cardboard box with like the words "costume" scrawled, oh, no. like, <laughs> right across the side in Sharpie. And I was like, Oh, oh you know, man. he wrote it himself. That's so funny. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, oh my god, I feel like there's a story here. Um, and just other, like, there's some stuff that's been so bizarre, I'm like, I, I can't. Okay, so, but what um, was in the costume box? Oh, well, <laughs> actually, Halloween costumes, but it just seems so bizarre at the time to see, like, I mean, I have Halloween costumes, but I don't, I don't really understand why it wasn't anywhere close to Halloween or... So he was lying. Just, I don't know. I was just like, like, it's just, it just so bizarre. It was like the sort of textbook like thing that you see, and you're like, I, I should run. Yeah, yeah. You didn't yeah. see him again after that. Um, no, actually, we went out a few more times until like there was various sort of escalations of weirdness until finally, I was like, no, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I can, yeah, it's just, there's stories like that. And like another person who, um, 
like a guy who invited me over to his house and then he's like, I have something to show you. And he, um, like in the bedroom, I'm like, Oh, (laughs) and he brought me in and he had a, like a rotating tie rack. (laughs) Like he opens up his closet door and then he's like, has this little like button and he presses and there's like these ties rotating. I'm like, yeah. You really thought that was going to sell, sell the date. You're definitely going to come back for the tie rack. I know. And yeah, it was just stuff like that where it's like, I can't not write about this, but I won't, like, reveal where he works or, right, like, who right. he is. But, you know, ladies, this guy is out there. <laughs> he may even be single still. You don't know. <laughs> Can you talk about any ethical issues that you've encountered while reporting on sex? I think, like, for me, it's more just protecting other people's privacy. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, um, that's something that's important to me. Mm-hmm. So if someone explicitly, like, will ask me not to write about something, like, I keep that promise always. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, not, um, like, I'm, I want the blog to be entertaining and, um, you know, funny and engaging, but like it's not a like for me it's not a place to like air dirty laundry and that's something that you know I'll write about that in my like notebook and you know angry (laughs) angry notes and you should still I I still advise like everyone you should get that stuff out there um but there's some things that just don't belong in a public forum and there's like if there's any kind of like if I ever have like a a doubt where I'm like should I publish this then I just don't yeah. I only want stuff going up there that's like um that's entertaining and positive and that like people can get something out of and that includes like protecting people's privacy. So okay. yeah. Um what about the hardest story that you've ever had to write? I would say I mean some of the chapters in my book were really challenging to write because I had to sort of sift through like some really old and kind of uncomfortable feelings. But as far as stuff that's been made public, I found like one of the hardest things for me to write about or sort of come out about is that, you know, I struggle with an anxiety disorder and uh, I don't, well, I wouldn't say I struggle. It's like, it's something I've dealt with for my whole life and now it's actually like in a good place, but it's, you know, something I still deal with and kind of coming out and saying, you know, admitting that, you know, there's such a stigma around sort of mental illness and, you know, yeah. being having to come out and talk about that um, was really hard, but really something I felt like I really needed to do. And also those posts or the, the stories that are like the most uncomfortable and the most like difficult to write are also like the most rewarding. Right. So working through that sort of that discomfort um, was really, in a way, um, it was good because I, I was I got a, a lot of people engaging with it and you know identifying and saying like, you know that I've been through the same thing or I'm dealing with the same kinds of feelings and I I think those are the stories that are the uncomfortable like hard stories or like the most important stories to tell if you're you know writing um, personal kinds of journalism or blogging. Do you think there are many male sex bloggers out there? 
There are a few that I know of. Um, I think it's definitely there are more women. There is like a big sort of sex blogging community. And I guess like I feel like I'm part of it, but yet not part of it because my blog, although I review toys and discuss these things, it's still pretty like vanilla. Um, But there's a lot of people who go into a lot more like issues and graphic details and sort of the more political side of sexuality and they do it really really well a Mm -hmm. lot of them and I don't um I see myself like I said like part of it but like not um because I also talk a lot about like more relationships versus like sex so (laughs) okay well this has been really great yeah thanks for talking yeah And that is all for today's show on sex journalism. Join us in two weeks for our next episode, the topic of which will be announced on the RRJ's Twitter, at Ryerson Review, in the upcoming week. Signing off, this is Off Leash.